0: Today, I've got a guest from New Jersey. The beautiful Maya is here to chat with us and talk about what she's achieved, not just with her raising her child, but also overcoming and getting on top of rheumatoid arthritis. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for allowing me to be here, it's such an honor.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so we've got lots to talk about. You and I just did a brief three and a half minute recap on your situation before we started recording. I want to hear it all fresh. I want to hear this. Uh, It's exciting to me because your story is unique in that you reached out to us initially when you were breastfeeding or pregnant, uh, around about Mm -hmm. that zone in your life. Yep. And then you moved across and followed our program more stringently, and you've got amazing results. So let's hear your story.
1: Okay. I mean, prior to reaching out to you, I was... uh, it was a struggle. I mean, we all know what that's like. I actually have two daughters. So I had a little one at the time. And uh, it was just a struggle. I mean, after the second one was born, carting them around to daycare, in and out of the car seats was a struggle. Um, I had morning stiffness throughout my body every morning. I was getting major flares, I'd say probably every seven to 10 days in muscles. And joints all over my body. I mean, from my shoulders to my ankles to my knees, my hips, my elbows, my places I didn't even know I had joints. Like, I'm like, there's no joint there. But, (laughs) you know, major, major pain. And I was trying to do it without the medication. You know, I was on methotrexate, you know, earlier on when I was first diagnosed, you know, before having children. How long ago was
0: that, Maya?
1: I was diagnosed uh, almost six years ago now. Okay,
0: six years. And if I may just sort of uh, fill in some areas on this story, how How old are your kids? Or should I say, how long did you have rheumatoid before you had four. Your, Yeah.
1: My younger daughter is three and a half. Um, I was diagnosed at 30, just a couple months after turning 30. And I had my first daughter in 2014, so about four, year, well, four years. Okay,
0: first, okay. Higher. So you'd experienced uh, the whole sort of methotrexate and trying to battle through... Well, well, let's back up. How'd you get pregnant? Because you're not allowed to get pregnant on methotrexate. Right, so right. did you do some family planning there?
1: I, I did. I worked with my rheumatologist to kind of wean off the drug. And she said, you have to be off of it for three months before you can even try. Yeah. So we did. We weaned it off. It was clean for three months. And then we tried. And we were very lucky. We got pregnant um, within the month after that. So wow. four months.
0: Wow. Now, okay, and this is close to my heart, too, because I was in the same situation, trying to get off that drug to family plan. So tell me now, when you came off the methotrexate, how were your symptoms leading into trying to get pregnant?
1: I actually did great. Um, I think we caught it very early. So while I was on the methotrexate, I did great. And while I was off of it, I did great. I had very little symptoms, you know, poking through, and I went into remission during that pregnancy, Um, and everything was pretty smooth, I would say. And after I gave birth to her, I was able to breastfeed her. But then symptoms started to pop back up. And it wasn't until my second pregnancy, which I was hoping I would be in remission just like my first, which was not the case. This preg- the second pregnancy was completely different. And that's when you know I was forced to take, not forced, but I had to take prednisone during that pregnancy, which breaks your heart because you don't want to have to do that. So I would say the disease kind of progressed and escalated you know, in those you know, four or five years while yeah. it was you know, first diagnosed to now. So, yeah. Now
0: tell me how were your eating habits during pregnancy? Because we notice, you know, particularly uh, in Western countries, when ladies get pregnant, they almost have a rite of passage to, to then eat like crazy as if like, they're not just feeding you and your baby, but you and your baby and every other person in the village. So did you sort of really gorge out on food or did you just eat a little bit more?
1: Well, the first go around, I did, you know, it was my first pregnancy and I was, oh, okay, it's a free pass, like you said. (laughs) And I had been gluten-free because I had read about that piece of it um, affecting, you know, the RA. So I had been gluten-free. Second, I got pregnant, I was craving breads. I don't know if because I had been gluten-free for so long. So I was eating bagels with cream cheese. I was having ice cream every single night.
0: Wow. Okay. Um, Yeah.
1: But lucky enough,
0: it didn't really- Didn't do anything. Didn't do anything. Yeah.
1: very early on. I think Yeah. the second pregnancy around, um, I was there, da- I had to be dairy free, gluten free. I was yeah. trying everything while still, you know, intaking what I needed to, to, um, be healthy for the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, but much more strict, you know, no dairy, no gluten, um, very little meat, but, um, I did have seafood every now and then I was, you know, doing your green juices at that point, but okay. yeah, so very different.
0: Now, tell me, the the common thing that we see is that after a pregnancy, rheumatoid really starts to flare up, to use that word, or get worse, two to three months after having the delivery. Did you see any kind of pattern like that?
1: I did. You know, after my first was born and during the breastfeeding, you know, little flares would pop up here and there. And then progressing a little, you know, every month it would be a little bit worse and a mm. little bit worse. But I knew I did not want to go back on the methotrexate, which was against my rheumatologist's wishes, um, no. because I did do so great on it the first go around. Yeah. Um, but my eyes were now open to the fact that this drug is no good. If you can't get pregnant on it, you know, what is it doing to my own body? And I had also in between that time gone to, you know, like an Eastern medicine doctor. Uh-huh. And this is after I had given birth to a healthy baby girl. He told me, oh, I would have advised you to stay off the drug longer than three months. I can't believe, you know, she only told you three months. So um, now my yeah. my eyes were open to the fact that this drug is no good. So I really did not want to go back on it. So I was trying to do everything possible to, you know, be drug free and eat the right way. Um, but I really did not know enough at that point of what really needed to be done. Okay. So- Yeah, Mm -hmm. the
0: three months is definitely like an absolute minimum. For us, we waited 12 months after I stopped methotrexate to start trying to have a family, not just because of the scariness of the drug toxicity, but also because I was still kind of quite weak. My muscles were still not very strong. I felt a little bit frail, even though I'd gotten rid of most of my joint pain. And yeah. so I just didn't feel like a man enough, if that, that makes is- sense. Yeah, I just <laughs> didn't feel like I was worthy of, of trying to have a child at that point. Right. Now, we're in a different situation because you had been given the green light, go off the drug and now quickly try and get pregnant. Whereas I'd worked like crazy for years to get off the drug slowly. And then I felt like, ah, oh, now I can just rehabilitate my body a bit more the pressure wasn't on, the clock wasn't ticking. So we took a lot of time. And then it took us five months to get pregnant after that. So we were about a a year and five months or so after stopping before we fell pregnant. So
1: yeah. And that's on the father's side too, not even, you know, the mother who has to carry the child, you know, even you cleaning it out of your body. So that's great, you know. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Yeah.
0: So let's talk about when you started to make some changes along the ways that uh, I talk about. Tell us when that started to be brought into your life.
1: Sure. So as I mentioned, the second pregnancy was very different and the disease was just progressing and progressing. I was on the prednisone during the pregnancy, which I did not like. And then I got to a point, probably about seven months or so, where this was enough. You know, I needed to find a solution. I just knew in my bones that there had to be something else out there. And I'm looking, looking, looking. Somehow, by the grace of God, I landed on your page and was, you know, instantly I knew that this is what I had been searching for. And I was so excited and downloaded your program and then realized I couldn't start it until after I was done, you know, with the pregnancy and then breastfeeding. So I had to sit on your program for a full year. But during that time, you know, it just progressed and it was such a, such a struggle, you know, after my second daughter was born. So now I had a a two-year-old and a newborn and just I couldn't do certain things that a mother should be able to do, you know, changing a diaper and playing and, you know, just all of that. I had to rely heavily on my husband. You know, a lot of the nightly wake ups, my hands didn't work. I couldn't lift her out of the crib and, you know, things that just break your heart. It was really, really a struggle. So
0: can you just go into a little bit more like where the symptoms were? And and I know you said your hands and we don't like to think about it normally, but for the purposes of comparison. I mean, what was happening in your body in detail?
1: I mean, well, it started when I was diagnosed, it started in just a hand, you know, I woke up one morning and a knuckle was swollen and I thought I must have broken it. I don't remember hitting it, but it's got broken or fractured. It's very painful and I can't move it at all. And so that's when I was diagnosed. Um, But from there, it kind of spread very quickly. Um, I didn't really have morning stiffness in the beginning, but I was getting major flares my shoulders and my elbows, like all these large joints. And they would last a couple of days, you know, like even though the flare level would go down, but it was still painful mm-hmm. and bending. And there were days, you know, my husband had to carry me to the bathroom, you know, just, it was horrible. It was just really, really horrible. And then as the z- disease progressed, I was starting to get the morning stiffness and I was like, oh, okay, this is what everybody else is talking about. You know, this is horrendous. So that compared, um, combined with the flares was just it was way too much, you know. Yeah. All over. It was all the morning stiffness. You know, maybe started in my hands, and then I would notice it in my feet, and then you know, one morning I woke up, my body was just very stiff. Also, you know, mm. like easing into the day took a took a very long time. You know,
0: mm.
1: and with small kids and a full time job, like I don't have time to be, you know, know. hands and just easing into the day. You have to be on it and ready to go. You know,
0: oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, wow. Okay, so yes, and that's when you started to come into sort of my radar. I saw an email from you and we talked about needing to not do the elimination part of our program right away. We talked about eating more of a diverse diet, both for yourself and for for baby, putting baby as a high priority, and then to postpone doing the program from start to finish the way that it's laid out until you had finished breastfeeding. So Tell me tell me how that went.
1: Yeah, so I was, you know, doing a modified version of your program and just introducing the green juices alone, right away I noticed a difference. The flare, the frequency of the flares was diminishing a little bit. Um, you know, there was still that morning stiffness here and there and the occasional flare, but I would say the time of the morning stiffness was shortened. Just things like things were decreasing, you know, pain level wise. So it was great and I knew that you know, if this is already happening and I'm not even following your program exactly yet, I knew that this, I was on the right track. So it was great. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah. And I started it fully after I was officially done breastfeeding my second one.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Now, uh, how did that go? The first attempt,
1: the first attempt, I started in May of last year, 2017, and I failed miserably. <laughs> I, I, as much knowledge as I thought I had at that time, and as I said, I had your program for a year, so I was able to read through it and really set myself up, gear myself up for this. I really didn't know enough. I didn't have enough patience and understanding of how long this process um, really takes. I started it in the first twelve days. Everything went away, and I felt amazing. And I said, "Oh, this is great! I'm cured! I'm, I'm fixed! Twelve days—it's all it took." So I did kind of jump around, um, into introducing foods. I think the first thing I introduced was like an avocado, which yeah. is like, you know, further down your program, you know, I ready thought I was go. Yeah. Twelve days, yeah. you're ready to go and as your symptoms fade, you're so excited that you kind of get how bad you had it before, so you know, true. you're in the zone where everything's great. Um, and right after the 12 days, morning sickness came right back and came right back and, Cretinazone came right back with it and uh, now I went through a couple months of, and I was really confused at that point, you know, you listen to a lot of like forums on the Facebook groups and things like that. And you just get so much information thrown at you and you don't know what to listen to, you know, this person great on paleo. This person did AIP. So I did kind of jump around and try different diets. I did try the AIP diet and that wasn't working. And I was just getting very confused, you know, listening to all this noise of, oh, this, this makes this person flare. Maybe I shouldn't eat that, you know, Mm, and not really understanding that you just need to stop, focus on yourself. And you know, what works for that person may not be what works for you. What makes that person flare may not be something that makes you flare. You really need to listen to your own body. And I said, okay, you know, what do I do? Because I'm miserable at this point. I'm not eating all these foods because I don't know what's, you know, causing what I have no idea. You know, there's all these people that say they could identify their food triggers. I I wasn't doing that because I was introducing a new food every single day and not really giving my body time to respond and see how it would respond. Um, I was all over the place. So I said, you know what? The last time I felt great was when I started the Patterson program those first 12 days. Let me restart it. Let me restart it and really focus this time and really do it exactly how the program is laid out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what I did. I started again in September. For me, I made charts. That's I sit awesome. out day one to like 120 yeah, and put all the foods that you were going to be eating that day. Yeah. And that's what helped me stay on track because as much as I, you know, day 12, I'm feeling good again. I want to introduce something. I said, no, no, no. Look where you'll be 10 days from now, 20 days from now, by Christmas, I'm going to be eating this, yeah. you know, much food again. So as it was difficult to cut out so much in the beginning yeah. for me. And you know, just having that eye on the prize and seeing where I would be able to be, that helped me stay on track this time around, and that those were my goals so I could see, you yeah. know, week after week where I would be. And I've never looked back. i I'm in a place now. I have been drug free for months. I have no pain. I can play with my kids. I can drop them off at daycare. I can. Exercise four times a week. um, It's amazing. It's amazing. And I don't miss any of the foods that I've had to cut out. The cravings have changed. You know, I used to crave the sugar and coffee, and and now I actually crave vegetables. Like, before, I barely ate vegetables, you know, like it's probably where some of my symptoms even started, you know. But your cravings just change and you listen to your body more. And it's amazing. It's amazing. And I can't thank you enough. (laughs) It's all. Part of your, it's all because
0: of your program, you know? It's been great. Well done. Well done. Just makes me just so happy to hear this, you know. It's just it's amazing how these changes can happen, you know, and it's amazing how delicate the path is and how narrow that path is through the mountain. It is this is a this is a very, very delicate process. And it's why most people shrug and say diet doesn't matter or or they, you know, say that uh, it's too difficult, you know, because mm-hmm. if you don't get everything right, then diet doesn't work, you see. So we saw right. that after 12 days, unless you get it perfect, right? this will fail too. It right. has to be perfect. Right. And I think that, you, you know, you mentioned something about, you know, listening to your own body and what that sort of falls into the category of when I think about this from a big picture is... It's, it's under the category of just taking responsibility. See, when we're on Facebook or when we're on a free online forum and just looking around and listening to others who are just putting a tiny fraction of their knowledge or experience into one or two little sentences, it doesn't have a framework. It doesn't have some kind of uh, positioning at all. It's just a comment from someone. We don't know how many drugs they're on or what they were doing before or if, you know, it's just all out of context. And what we need to do is take responsibility, like you said, and listen to our own body mm-hmm. and follow a path of highest success probability, which is yeah. make it all plants, make it low fat, make it whole foods, mm-hmm. and start with alkalizing foods and work your way f- through from there, like our program. And uh, you've a great example of that.
1: Yeah. I would, I would absolutely recommend the program to anybody and just, I hope that everyone else can find success because it is absolutely possible. And as much as you might be in a dark time and thinking that it can't be possible, you know, just do whatever you can to get out of that and start the program. And really in months you could be where I am now, you know, I'm, I recommend it to anybody. It's amazing. It's amazing.
0: Let's go through the way that you did this. I saw that wonderful picture that you've got there. It's, it looks to me like it's a. Um, it's been printed on A3 large paper, and it looks like it's done in color. Can you tell us a little bit about yeah. what you've created there? Is that something you've used the Works Office printer to uh, to to?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't normally keep a printed copy but I printed it to yeah. show you. I normally just keep it at work uh-huh. um, and I would you know list the days of the program you know now I'm on day 162 or something like that yeah. and uh, what I introduced that day what food I was introducing. Again. And then I would put my symptoms. You know, I could see the first day: at my left pointer, my left wrist, twenty-five percent, my my right of my foot, and morning stiffness lasting forty-five minutes. You know, and it's great because now looking back on this, I hadn't printed it and I hadn't really scrolled up when I was doing it on the computer either. But looking back, it's it really shows how far you've come. You know, and I could see, you know, as the the months went on, no morning stiffness, or I could even see the pain levels, the percentages decreasing. You know, and I would try to list foods that I thought could be triggering. Um, mm-hmm. so, so those I would highlight in red, you know, cause I could kind of see how long it would take for me to kind of flare up from that. And it is color coded. I did it based on your food introduction. So the first yes. 12 days I put in blue and then the next, whatever, you know, so I could kind of see what foods I could be introducing yeah. um, at that point. Um, I would also list like an additional comment. Did I try to exercise that day? How did I do Did I take any medication that day, you know, things like that. And then I have little notes like Thanksgiving I had in here. So I knew, you know, those could have caused some flare ups because I, maybe you know, even though I stayed on the program, um, my sister was fantastic this Christmas. She made foods, you know, everything that I could eat, my diets and what foods I was able to eat at that time. But even though you're not doing the cooking, so, you know, you never know, you know, so, but things like that, just any sort of comments I would introduce that chart. And help, you know, every day I'd come into work and just quickly jot down, you know, what I'm eating that day and my symptoms and that's it.
0: It's exactly what I did. Exactly what I did. We had small different ways of representing the information, but that's also yeah. what I did. It's an elaborate food diary in a kind of spreadsheet format because yeah. a lot of those things that we're eating each day are the same as we go down. So we don't have to list them all again. We just have to list the new ones. Yeah.
1: Right. Right, yeah. I figured out how later on because the are really thick but I eventually realized that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I love the comments section because that's exactly what I still do to this day with my gym book. So I take little gym little books with me to the gym. Um, they're only about the size of my palm, you know, about this big. And I can fit them in the glove box of my car and I go into the gym and I tab create a table just like you've done there. And what I do is I write down the date, my weight, which gym I'm at, because we travel a lot with different Mm -hmm. gyms. And then I write down across the top, I've got all the different exercises that I do that I know are safe for my body, given its physical limitations from the joint damage that I had. Okay, so some things I can't do. And I leave all them out. I've found over the years I can do about 16 different things that help me feel strong, feel good and don't hurt the damaged joints in my elbows and my left knee. And then I, I write down how many reps I did and, and so on. And over the right-hand side, I have comments. And if something, for instance, just irritates my wrist because I'm trying to lift a lot of weight or at the moment I'm trying to do chin-ups, I'm trying to do as many chin-ups as I can because it's something I haven't been able to do for like 9, 10, 10 years or something. And so I notice that things can tweak a little bit because it's a lot of my own body weights a lot for me given that I, what I've been through. And so I make comments all the time. And so I've got what I'm doing, all my comments. If I do a Bikram yoga class that day instead, I just write Bikram, you know, and I'm always documenting this stuff because once we have a condition that affects our body to this extent, whether it be inflammation or dealing with damage or whatever, we've got to keep a track of what what we're doing because the evidence is there when we go and look back and we're able to see trends and see, identify causes of these things. So I'm, I still do it to this day now with my gym. Yeah.
1: Yeah, It's amazing. The other thing I have on this is a second tab and I had images of my hands, you know, day one, this is what my hands looked like. And day, you know, Fifteen days in, thirty days in, so I could see literally the inflammation in my fingers going down. I recently I had a ring on this finger that was stuck. I couldn't get it off because the inflammation was so big, and finally it it came off. The inflammation, little by little, went you know down and down. So I was able to get it off. And looking at those pictures, it's incredible too. You know, being able to see the yeah. pro you've made there. So if anyone found this at work, they'd be like, what is the spreadsheet she's working on? But <laughs> yeah. you know, you need to, you need to go into depth and, you know, document all of that. Otherwise you're you're gonna, I think, get thrown off track like I did my first go-around because you're not realizing maybe what foods could be triggering you um, or exercises, like you mentioned, you know, you you have to really understand that and listen to it. And then the other thing is introducing foods, like giving your body time to see if you have a reaction to them. You know, for me, I was doing a new food every single day. And that was too quick for me because I noticed the flare or the inflammation would happen kind of the next night or maybe even the second morning after eating that food. So Wow, wow. Okay the first go around, you know, I was just so excited to be able to eat different foods again. And then I started doing whatever I wanted and that you, can, you can't do that. You really have to take it slow, have patience and know that in a couple months from now, you're going to be in an amazing, an amazing spot. So, awesome.
0: Now, yeah. just some tips for others who are doing the same thing that you, that you just did so well. Tell me, did you eventually just decide, look, I'm going to wait two days for every food just to keep it consistent or what did you do with that?
1: Well, at first, I was waiting every two days, and then I did have a reaction to a food. And once I, and it was the next night. So once I knew how long it really took my body to react, then I had a baseline. So now I knew I could wait, you know, about thirty-six hours. I was doing so one morning, I would do a food, and then the following day's night, I would introduce a new
0: food. Oh, interesting. Something
1: like that, yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. That's good. That's good. And I want to ask you about your pain scoring, this 25%, 50% thing. What does that mean?
1: That was just how much pain I was in, <laughs> how much, what I rate it to be, you yeah. know, or the inflammation level. I would say, you know, listening to other people's stories that maybe my condition was a little better than most cases, you know, luckily, or if I caught it earlier or, or what, but it it was bad enough where it was, you know, puffy and painful to bend, you know, that like a 25%, 50% would be pretty bad, but you know, 5%, 10% was a little less. And then I was rating it down to even like 0.5%. Like right now I would say I'm at a 0.5% in a couple fingers. That's it. You know, and that's like very minimal, you know, and five minutes I move it and I'm on my way, you know, my yes. day is ready to go. So, yes. um, Yeah. So it's, it's my own gauging system, I guess, but whatever, however you want to rate it. I know you did like a one to 10, Yeah, you know, whatever works, whatever works. So, you know, how your pain was that day, um, whatever you got to do.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, some people would say, but, but it's not quantitative. Well, it's, it's the best we can do given the circumstances, because as long as it's relative To previous markings then it doesn't matter like for instance if someone rated just a little bit of tenderness like a six out of ten which would probably be a little bit high as long as when it drops it drops to a three then we're good right Right. then then we can see comparative figures yeah right and it's this isn't for our doctors it's not for our family this is just for us and it's it works well as you've just demonstrated
1: right as long as you can see the, the numbers going down yeah then you're doing something right, you know, and I can tell you that it drives with my blood tests. You know, I can tell you when I felt that I was at my lowest and the pain was at its greatest, my blood levels were at their highest at those times, you know, and it's all, it's all right there, you know, Mm -hmm. and now I just got my blood, blood, blood test packed, um, two, three weeks ago, everything's all within normal range. So it definitely relates to how I'm feeling now for sure. Awesome. Yeah.
0: I've got three more questions, at least queued in my brain. I might think of some more.
1: <laughs>
0: the first one is, did you, do you have any tips on how to get off prednisone or did you find that that was relatively straightforward once you uh, were stricter with the program?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it was straightforward. You kind of know, um, when you need it and when you don't, um, I was not taking it regularly. I was only really taking it when I needed. That's the difference. Yeah, that's the difference it you know i didn't need it there were certain days i you know i had a little morning stiffness but if there was no flare and you power through the morning stiffness and you're fine but during a flare is when it was it's just so painful and you can't lift your arm or something yeah. you know getting in the way um, i would take it for maybe three days um, at a time so i stopped it when the flares stopped. you know as soon yeah. as i got on your program and the flares went from every seven to ten days to every 20 days to no flares at all. That's when I kind of weaned off of it. You know, the last one I took was the end of November. I mentioned Thanksgiving. It was probably yeah. something I ate then yeah. kind of threw me into a flare and that was it, you yeah. know? Okay. Last time I've touched it.
0: Yeah. Good. And, uh, you know, my comment about that's the difference. What I mean by that is what gets extremely challenging is when people are on it for multiple months consecutively, Yeah. even several weeks consecutively, it starts to get a little bit delicate because at that point, even then it can be start hard to, to taper off yeah. and it becomes this addictive sort of almost like your body depends upon it. And when you're taking it intermittently like you were, almost like people do with their non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, I think that it's a different set of circumstances.
1: Yeah, it might be. It might be. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, individualized, you really got to,
0: yeah.
1: what kind of you need to do, you know? Yes.
0: Okay. So. Cool. Yeah. Now, exercise, how much importance did you place on it? And how did you use exercise?
1: Exercise has been amazing. You know, prior to your program, I had always been a runner and that's really it. I would just run or occasionally I'd go to the gym and do some like the group exercise classes, but Bikram yoga, I went, you know, per your suggestion has been incredible. I go now, you know, four times a week and I just, this morning I went, I dragged my husband his first time going just because it's great. It's really beneficial. I think, um, whether you have RA or not, I think, you know, obviously it's beneficial. There's so many people that do it and have such success with it, but something with the heat and just, you know, making sure you're continuously moving your joints and muscles that don't Always get used, you know, just running. I wasn't really using a lot of different muscles. So it's been incredible. The Bikram Yoga, I especially recommend. And I think that's, you know, crucial to success, also.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Another reminder to people is if they didn't need it already about the importance and the most powerful effectiveness of Bikram Yoga. If you didn't have Bikram, would there be anything else that you could recommend to someone who can't access it?
1: Even just stretching, I think, helps, you know, and just paying attention to the smaller joints, like stretching your fingers and doing, you know, hand exercises is helpful for me also. But I think, again, it's individualized. You have to find what's working for you, you know, be it kickboxing or, you know, soccer or anything you want to do to just kind of move your body. But I do think it's so important to continuously move, you know, those muscles and making sure because otherwise, if there's a couple of days that go that I don't exercise, I do kind of notice things are stiffening, stiffening back up, you know, so I definitely think it's important. But yeah, what exercise? I, I don't know. Again, listen to your own body and figure it out, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so. you're definitely into the, um, the fortunate category in that you've got a Bikram studio near enough to you that yeah. you can get to. Yeah. But even having that, a lot of people still have that opportunity and they still don't go so you have to take the action it, as you know it takes up a lot of time it consumes a lot of your energy sometimes you feel exhausted sometimes after class if yeah. you've had a big day or you've eaten too close to class or you haven't drank enough water or you're tired when you went whatever it's still I mean just because it's nearby doesn't mean that you you're, you're doing it and so I say with Bikram yoga the hardest part is getting there once getting there. you get there then, you know, they'll walk you through it. You just have to tune right. out and listen. But getting there, yeah. so many barriers, you just, sometimes you'll do anything to avoid going sometimes, yeah. you know.
1: That's what I used to say, I think even before I was diagnosed, like when you're looking at a food menu, as
0: yeah. I
1: said, like, I always hated vegetables, but the hardest part is ordering that salad. Once it comes, it's delicious. doesn't <laughs> <But> just <laughs> That's as delicious as the other foods on the menu. But the hardest part is just order it, yeah. <laughs> you know. So just go, just go to yoga, and the rest is, you know, the rest will come easy. So for sure,
0: for sure. Wonderful. Well, I want to ask you about, did you find that there were any crucial supplements to take or do you feel that they only played a, a small part?
1: Supplements were huge for me. Um, actually the first go around in your program or even the second time, you know, the second time I started your program and found success, the first couple days or even the first month, you're not eating a lot of foods. You know, you really need to give your body that time to cleanse everything out. For me, I do. I take a ton of different supplements that are helpful to me. Um, I take the glutamine, I take bromelain, vitamin D, vitamin D, uh, you know, a multivitamin. I, you know, a whole bunch of others. Um, mm-hmm. she'll put me on, um, almost like a cat's claw, which yeah, I had never sure. heard. Of. Sure. Yeah. I think is, great i don't i don't know what's doing what i'm at a yeah. point where i don't want to change anything i don't know what's doing what. but that one i really think because when i've run out of it and there's been like a couple of days ago before the new order comes in yeah. i do I notice things dipping a little bit so yeah. that one I think is helpful but yeah uh for me the supplements were were crucial for me i needed them you know but now that i'm at a point where i'm able to eat so many different foods I may start weaning those out, you know, and seeing how I do so I can get, to, cause it's expensive, it, you know, it is,
0: it is yeah. expensive.
1: Seeing what I actually need and what I don't yeah. need. Yeah. Taking a bunch, you
0: Did know? you have any probiotics or any uh, fermented foods in your regime?
1: Yes. Probiotics for sure. And, you know, finding the right one. Um, I'm currently on like a spore, the mega spores. Like I've, through you, uh, I've been introduced to all these other doctors and things like that, and I found you know a couple videos on uh, on probiotics. So I'm on I'm on like a spore based one that I guess is supposedly supposed to be beneficial toward you know it actually gets to you know, the the gut area that it needs to get and actually can populate and survive, but who knows? It could just be a bunch of marketing, but I'm, I'm in a good place and the one I'm on now works, but you do have to find the right probiotic for sure. Fermented foods, something I didn't mention, I actually got um, through that holistic doctor food sensitivity testing done because mm-hmm. I was having a hard time making heads or tails of it. And I know those aren't a true science, you know, I know, but just to see. Yeah. And one of the things I um, reacted to was brewer's yeast,
0: Brewer's yeast. Okay, yeah. mm-hmm. I had
1: to take out. You know, I couldn't really have fermented foods because yeah, I got right. it for three months. You know, they say to eliminate it and then kind of bring things back in. So it's been it's been four months now since I haven't had that. Um, I started with the. I tried a kombucha the other day to see how I did with that. So I haven't really done too much of the introducing of the fermented foods back in my diet, but just because I'm I'm scared. You know, I'm scared to. Eat these foods again that i did have reactions to you know
0: when you can't get better results than what you've currently got there's no real room to improve then there's no real need to add those foods back in yeah those I foods see. replace or substitute your own insufficient gut bacteria okay right but right. if you're able to digest which means ferment, right? To break down or to metabolize the foods that you're eating, then you have the gut bacteria already to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. So I'd be in no hurry at all to go and challenge something that subconsciously you feel nervous about, because that's only going to potentially rock the boat.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes me, makes me feel better. <laughs>
0: yeah, we look. We we know there are. We know there are health benefits to consuming foods that are rich in healthy bacteria. Right. But it's such a delicate ecosystem inside that, you know, I personally would be satisfied with the results that you've got, which are tremendous. I mean, you're not on any medications. You've got barely any symptoms and you have control over your situation. I mean, you've hit this point of complete confidence and control. Okay. Uh And that's, that's our ultimate goal. And yeah. therefore, I, yeah, I wouldn't be in a hurry either. I wouldn't be in yeah. a hurry either. And you've got your probiotics that you're taking in supplemental form.
1: Right, right, yeah. right.
0: So right. if you weren't as good as you were, then you would be in, in, in an exploration phase.
1: Thing, right. But
0: you're not. You're not. So why change it? Nothing beats results. If you've got the results, nothing yeah. needs changing unless mm. your diet is nutritionally incomplete yeah. or you don't have enough daily calories, then you need to make changes. But you have neither of those scenarios happening. Yeah,
1: yeah. I am in a good place. Okay, good. Yeah. I don't really like fermented foods. so right.
0: right.
1: <laughs> I was like, I don't really want to yeah. try about it out. Yeah. But, I, I, you know, the miso paste, I do like that. You know, I put that on the Matty rice, like you mentioned. Well, that's
0: there you good. Go. You, you like, are getting – you are having fermented foods. Yeah,
1: then. just not, yeah. I guess, like the sauerkraut and yeah. cream cheese and things like that. Yeah, I
0: but, know. I mean, how often do we do we – want to be eating those foods when we're out and right. about anyway those they're not sort of convenient sort of foods right. that we want like rices and potatoes and corns and breads and things that we we really want to eventually be eating a lot of because those we can eat out all the time you know we right. can have them at restaurants all the time pasta right. sure. you know so yeah so they're the foods that we really want to be trying to to find our yeah. way back into our diet
1: yeah can I ask you yeah. yourself, you have no morning stiffness, no pain, nothing. And for how many years have you been sustained?
0: It's like four or five, something like that. Yeah, wow. yeah. Amazing.
1: Yeah. I just want to know where I'll be, you know, what, yeah. what I look forward to. So, yeah. Amazing.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: good yeah. for you.
0: But, you know, I uh, I always got to be careful with oils. And I noticed it like over the last couple of months. Um, that I can get some tenderness in some damaged joints, uh-huh. and I just have to be careful. I it's not inflammation, but if I push into things, yeah. I can sense a little if I go out to restaurants and stuff today, yeah. because you know, I'm as free as you like. Like, I and and sometimes you know, I also need to say, Hang on a second, just because the the blinkers aren't on as tight as what they used to be. That doesn't mean that I can do whatever I want. And just because it's not a cheese pizza or ice cream still doesn't mean that it's entirely safe. You know what I mean?
1: Right. Right. Yeah. So
0: um, there'll always be barriers. There'll always be um, restrictions, but the, but, but the, uh, those, those barriers get wider and wider and wider And the one thing that I think everyone with an inflammatory autoimmune disease will always have to be careful of is always oils. For the rest of our lives, we're going to have to watch out for those oils, those vegetable oils. They are just kindling, you know, and even if you've, you know, if you think of a campfire and the fire has been extinguished, you can't even see the red embers anymore sitting in there. Mm -hmm. But, but if you were to throw tiny little bits of kindling and maybe blow on it a little bit, you know, and just you might be able to get that fire going again. And, and, uh, and I think we're always, always going to have that little bit of, of ash, little bit of potential embers that are always going to be in that campfire.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You
0: know, you're right. So, you know, I'll never be complacent till the day I die. Never, Mm -hmm. ever. I will Mm -hmm. never want to eat foods again that can potentially get that thing going again.
1: Yeah. 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 It's amazing how your cravings change, you know, like I mentioned before, like I see in the office, there's so many treats and things like that. And I don't even look at that. I mean, that's not even on my radar, you know? Uh, it's amazing how you can change your Cause that was not me. I was all, I love sweets and cakes and coffee cakes and donuts and coffee even, you know,
0: right, it's
1: funny how it's only been a couple months and you know, it's unbelievable. So in five, six months time for me anyway, you know, you could be (laughs) in an amazing place. So
0: yeah, well you are, you know, you you've actually gotten there. You're, you're in the location that you've, been seeking and all you need to do now is to continue to apply the discipline and to maintain it. This whole thing is about discipline. Every your whole story that you've just described is a tremendous display of discipline. That's what mm-hmm. it is, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Discipline with your record keeping, discipline with your eating, discipline with your avoidance of temptations, discipline yeah. with going to Bikram yoga four times a week. Yeah. Discipline with your little hand exercises,
1: mm-hmm. yeah? Yeah. And
0: and discipline with restocking those, those supplements that you felt have been important. And right. if we were to have more of a microscope and spend a longer time with you in your life, we would find another 10, 15, 20 examples of where you've applied this discipline. And yeah. so that's what it all comes down to mm-hmm. is the discipline to also continue to seek Answers when the answers aren't there. Mm-hmm. That's a discipline in itself because sometimes, I mean, I used to go for months on end where I wasn't improving. My whole experience with this condition, when I was trying to get well, was months and months of pretty much nothing showing up in terms of results, with intermittent improvements which I was then able to to maintain for months and months before getting some more improvements. I mean, for me there were long periods of not much not much showing up in terms of success yeah but remember that success with this condition is not worsening that's a success Correct. Correct. We, yeah. you know i've i've got a little bit of a dilemma at the moment where i've got clients who watch podcasts and hear your story and everyone else who's who's been on this this show And their expectations are insane compared to when I first started doing this and helping people. Expectations now are higher than ever before. People think, okay, I'm going to do Patterson program and I'm going to be off my drugs in three months and I'm going to be back to my normal life. And, man, I've set this problem up for myself or put it like, uh, you know, where the expectations are so high now that this is also another challenge. This is another challenge that we're facing and that people need to realise that this disease is excruciatingly challenging and to just not worsen, to not increase drugs is a good result. Rheumatologists yep. think that's a great result. And yes. But of course, what we need to say is, okay, well, what's our goal here? Let's set the bar that is quite easy to jump over so that if we clear it easily, we're going to feel happy. Not set the bar no drugs, no pain in three months. This does not help anyone. It's unrealistic. It's stressful. And frankly, it probably won't happen. So
1: would you say the longer that people have the disease or the severity levels of people's diseases is an indication of how long they need to stick with the program before they start to see results? Someone who maybe had, you know, R.A. for 10 years before starting your program, you know, they may not in three months, six months, but a year a year from now, sticking with your program, they would see improvements, yeah? You, you,
0: yeah, well, everyone sees improvements. It's, yeah. it, you know, there's very rarely a case, if ever, where if people don't make some of the crucial mistakes that they don't get improvements. Again, so the crucial mistakes are changing or dropping medications right before starting. Yeah. Okay, so that, that that sounds ludicrous and stupid, but people do it all the time. Right. So they get like two weeks in and they say, I'm not making progress or I feel worse. My first question is always, okay, what medications have you just dropped? And that's right. always the answer, okay? Yeah. So we know that the program says don't change any medications before starting because we want to see the effect of this program against a background that is steady. Yeah. Right.
1: You want to compare apples to apples. That's right.
0: That's right. And then the other thing, common mistakes that people will make, gee, actually, I can't think of too many. Virtually, if you don't do that, virtually everyone improves, right? But in terms of people who've had it for a very long time, the question then actually needs to be molded into this question. What strategy with medications, exercise, supplementations, Stress reduction and diet is in place because we all get so one-trick pony with the diet. We're all obsessed about the diet. Right. But like you, right, if you'd have been on prednisone every single day for the past six months leading into this program, our strategy wouldn't be to try and get you to be, like what our strategy would be would be to try and get you off prednisone as the first objective. Right. That would be first objective because Whilst being on that drug, you are trying to fight a boxing match with two hands behind your back, mm-hmm. okay? Because it's just so deleterious Hold to the back. to the gut yeah. wall, to the gut wall, okay? Yeah. So we wouldn't be targeting maximum pain relief and so forth. We'd be trying to get off that drug. Of course, we want pain relief, but you know, we'd be also having we'd have a strategy in place. And then yeah. once off that drug, then we'd be trying to. Uh, get pain as low as possible, then add some more foods. And then if someone's on prednisone, they're normally on other drugs like disease-modifying drugs or biologics and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, with patients and so forth, we slowly look at regular blood tests and physical symptoms and consultations with the rheumatologist and then start discussions about, you know, reducing the number of drugs or the dosages of these drugs. Yeah. So every case is different every yeah, case is different that's
1: why you need to listen to yourself and not everything else that's out there because yeah. it's you'll get lost like i did that first time around you know you yeah. really need to yeah, yeah hone in on yourself and your case like you said
0: it's mm-hmm. true it's mm-hmm. true yeah yeah that's right so well this has been really enjoyable and i'm, I'm thrilled to be able to uh, hear what you've told me today and excited for where you're going to take this in the future
1: Yes, thank you so much for talking to me. It's been fantastic.
0: Awesome, Maya. Well, thanks so much. And uh, drop us a line in a couple of months. And I look forward to hearing your continual improvements and um, wishing you all the best.
1: Thank you. Same to you. Will do. (laughs) Take care. You've been listening to The Patterson Program. For more information, visit pattersonprogram.com.